Ephesians 6, we're going to begin reading here, verse 17. He's been talking about this armor that we're to put on that will help us to be successful Christians. And uh, it's a challenge to us. And uh, he's telling us what to do. And so here in verse 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation. And we explained what that helmet is, you know, the right thinking about your salvation, which you receive in Christ. And then it says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, he said, take the sword of the Spirit, or we've looked at this before, the sword that works in the spirit realm, or the sword, really, of the Word of God. Because he goes on to explain, which is the Word of God. And so the Bible is described as, or God's words, as living and powerful. But then it says this, they're, they're actually sharper than any two-edged natural sword. So we know that when the Lord comes back, the Bible tells us, gives a description in the book of Revelation, when, we, when He appears... And we go to be with him if we're alive when he comes. It said a sharp two-edged sword will come out of his mouth. Now, was he meaning, you know, like he's a sword swallower or something like that? No. It's descriptive of the word of God proceeding out of his mouth. Because it's said that when that happens, he'll devour his enemies. And so he will use the words of his mouth to devour the enemies that are on the earth, the people who would not serve him, those who followed the Antichrist when he's here because he will be at that, here at that time. And so we see the word of God being like a sword. And here it says, take the sword of the Spirit. Now we talked a bit about that. And we know that we're to take the sword of the Spirit ourselves, which is, and we looked at this and we won't, very much today, the sword of the Spirit, and we looked at that word, you know, sword of the Spirit, and then it says word of God, that word, word right there, literally means spoken word. So you could say this, the sword of the Spirit is the spoken word. In other words, if the word is not expressed and spoken the right way, then the sword is not working. It would be like saying if you have a knife in a, you know, on your side, you have it, but what makes it work is when you take it out and apply it to something. And so he said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, for some people, that's a new idea. They thought, well, you just read the Bible and that's all. But there is a lot to be said about speaking the Word of God. Because the Word of God is powerful in and of itself. I mean, it is just full of power. The world is held together by the power or the Word of His power is how it reads. So His words are super powerful. And they can affect you. They can affect the atmosphere of your life. They can affect different things. They affect us. Don't words, natural words, affect people? Sharp words spoken from one to another person? Don't those, you know, the Bible said those things can go in so deep and they can cut and they can wound. How many people as kids have been wounded and then lived wounded all their life because they didn't know how to deal with it and how to forgive and get rid of stuff like that? But the issue is this. We need to know that words are valuable. But your own words are too. Or I should say it this way. Your words or you speaking His word is valuable. Right? You know, we, we, do, we do a time of praise and worship here. And uh, how many people have been kind of heavy when they came in and they started singing and they started going, wow, something's happening. They started getting lifted up. And they say, God is really doing something. Well, why did God do something right then and not an hour before? It's an interesting thing. Could we have just come in stood still for 25 or 30 minutes and just stood there. And then I get up and go, okay, I'm going to preach the Bible now. 
Well, God would have started working when I preached the Bible, but how much would he have done if he just came and stood there? Or we just idly talked? There is something to be said about speaking and expressing right words and how God moves on those words. And so here he said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's why we want our words and our songs to be right. And then we need to know the words so we can declare it, say it, pronounce it. Jesus said it like this, by our words we'll be justified or by our words we will be condemned. And so it's interesting though that that's not where he stopped with that statement of take the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Notice the very next verse starts with praying. So you could say it like this, take the sword of the Spirit which is the spoken Word of God to prayer. Take it to prayer. Take it to prayer. Take the Word of God with you when you pray. Does that mean I'm teaching that, man, where is my Bible? I can't pray right now. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying take this, you know, book with you like you would take a rabbit's foot with you because you don't want good luck. It's not what he's saying. He's saying take the Word of God, or you could say it like this, the truths of the Word of God, the things that God put in here as parameters for prayer, and then he said use those when you pray. It's interesting in the Bible how many times, you know, in the Old Testament, people in their personal studies of the Bible you know, of the Old Testament at that time, they would be studying, they would find something that God had promised. And it seemed like it fell right on their time. Like there was one person who was studying the Scriptures, and he found that God had talked about because of the sins of the children of Israel, they would go into bondage. But after a certain amount of time, God wanted to deliver them. Even though they had done this and gone aside and it talks about how if they would call unto him and do certain things, he would deliver them. So what did he do? He started praying these things. God, you said this, and, and you said this. And he took God's word back to him, and God started working to do what he had wanted to do. And there are things God wants to do, but we need to take his word before him. And we need to use it you know, a sword or speaking it, declaring it, you know? And how many times have people gone to God and didn't take the sword of the Spirit and they took something else and they left and it didn't profit them? They went in and they said, God, you know, you know I love you. He knows that. No arguing. No, seriously, God, you know really I love you. But I've messed up so many times, I'm so sorry. I've, I've, I've told you, I, I've done it like a hundred times, and I'm sorry. I told you last time I'd never do it again. Oh, God, forgive me. I know. If you'll just do it just this one more time, you're approaching totally, totally wrong. One, if you ask God before, all those things are gone. So you need to take the sword of the Spirit. God, I know you said you'd cleanse me anytime I ask. I'm asking. You would forgive? Cleanse. Well, if he did it before, then why are you bringing up stuff that doesn't even exist that he dealt with last time you came? But if you'll take the sword of the Spirit, you can walk away clean. But what's interesting is, is if we don't, or we don't, do it right, will we be benefited by prayer? You know, people say, man, there's power in prayer. Well, I guess that's true, but it's also false. You, it'd be better to say it this way, power could be released in prayer. Or things can happen through prayer. Turn with me to Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and then we'll go back there to Ephesians, I believe. 
we said this last week, we, we saw where people who were actually people we would think that they always would get results if they prayed for you. You know, in other words, we think if Jesus prayed, he would have got results. Or if the disciples, you know, I'm talking like Peter or, or some of the guys who wrote stuff in the New Testament. I mean, if they were here, wouldn't it be a guarantee of answered prayer? Well, if you were here last week, we saw scriptures where they tried. They had gotten results one time. They tried again with this other time and uh, didn't get results. They all tried. Then they came to Jesus, and Jesus uh, said several things, and then when they left privately, they said, why couldn't we get the results we wanted? Isn't that interesting? That stuff's in the Bible. And Jesus explained to them why they couldn't get the results and basically told them what to do to get results. And so... My big thing about this that we're learning is not just to get information, but get results. To go from no results to results. And so we're talking about right here about taking the word of God and praying. And so it's good to hear the word, but it's good to get results. I, I, my thought is I'd rather hear half and get full results than hear a bunch and get no results, right? I mean, I mean, if I only knew half the truth but got 100% truth, I mean, answers and results, or knew just tons and tons and got no results, that would not be good. So I want results, right? I mean, who cares if somebody in the world knows all the Bible verses if they're not saved? They never got the results of being saved. I'd rather hear them, have them hear one or two truths and know Christ and get those results so when they die, they end up in heaven than be able to quote a bunch of scriptures. I know the devil quotes scriptures all the time because he'll twist them to, to try and throw you off. You with me? He does. Read the Bible. He will do things like that to throw you off. And we need to be careful of that and we need to be grounded in the Word because we don't want our minds to be held captive by wrong things. You with me? Smith Wigglesworth, a great man of God, uh, one time said, he said that if Satan can capture your thought life, he's won a great victory. And it's true. Why is that? Because when he captures people's thought life through false reasonings, they won't be confident toward God. They won't expect miracles. They won't expect certain things. They think you've got to live on like this, and God doesn't always do things, and I've been this bad, and nobody ever gets free from this, and nobody can ever change, and... I know three or four people who had the same stuff going on in their life, and it didn't turn out good. And he'll try to captivate your thought life. But God wants you to get results. You with me? He wants you to get results. He doesn't want you just to read the Bible. He wants you to get the results that are afforded to you by him. You with me? And so notice this in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and we'll be, begin to read in verse 2. For indeed, the gospel, we know what the gospel is, means the good news. And Jesus said, go preach the good news to every creature. And he said, for indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as them. So he's talking about the Jewish people. They had good news shared with them. They were told, you can possess this land, and there's good stuff for you, and on and on. And so he said, just like the gospel was preached to them, a good news, so a good news has been told us. So he said, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as them, but 
the word or the gospel which was heard did not profit them. Think about it. They heard, but it didn't profit them. That's real interesting to me because is, was it God's design that it didn't profit them, that it didn't bring results in their life, that, that he just wanted to tell them something good to make them feel good and then, then just not get things into their life? No. And how many times do we hear things like that and it's told it's the gospel? Well, God's in control and God's not in control of everything. I mean, I don't know about you, I'm not a huge news junkie, but the other night I um, uh, saw where, I don't know the whole story, you guys probably know more than I do, uh, but some, something happened, I don't know if it was like over drugs or something, but somebody, a guy or two guys killed four guys and like buried them in Pennsylvania, did anybody hear that? You know, well, praise the Lord, God's in control, and um, you know, there's a guy in Korea, and he's like doing these nuclear things, you know, the, the ruler of Korea. Well, praise the Lord, God's in control. So if he launches a nuclear bomb, God's in control. Is God in control? Or, or are there overlying things that you can't get outside of those parameters like he will come back? But there, is there an amount of control he gives us? Yeah, absolutely. There is an amount. In other words, your kids just don't turn out by accident, don't end up on the junk heap or end up in a good place just by accident. Right? Somebody said, well, I'm just tired of trying to raise them. I'm just giving them over to God. God's in control. No, no. No, God is not the ultimate, you know, orphanage, you know, for parents who are fed up, you know, I'm just giving them to God. If that worked, then what you should do is the minute they're born is just say, I give them to you, God, and just let them go. I mean, I don't know about you, I don't have grass at my house, but my bushes keep growing. If they get water, they keep growing, and I keep having to trim them and stay on them, and stay on the trees, and stuff like that, I could get frustrated and said, well, I've had enough. I just, I just give it over to whoever. No, it's just, it's just going to be overgrown. So, in other words, if I just said, well, I'm giving them to you, God. Is he going to show up? And, you know, I mean, you could technically get a gardener named Jesus. But it ain't Jesus the Savior. Right? So he ain't going to come do your yard work. He might strengthen you to do your yard work. Give you wisdom on how to keep your plants alive and stuff. But he's not going to come trim it for you. He'll give you wisdom on how to raise your kids. He'll help you in those things. You can use words to surround them and create an atmosphere around them. And you don't even have to say them to their face. You do it on your own when you're driving or in your own prayer time. And those words will begin to go to work. And you say, yeah, but they, they, they act out sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I have a branch on a tree that just wants to outgrow the other ones. I, I trim it. You with me? And so we need to recognize God is not in control, but he's gave, he, he has given us tools and different things so we could get results. You with me? He's left many things up to us. Because remember he said, whosoever will, let them call on my name and they'll be saved. Why don't we just say, well, whoever it's God's will to save, he'll just save them. No, that's why he gave us a responsibility to share and to reach out to people. And so God is not in control of everything, but can God's hands, so to speak, be in everything? Yeah, if, if we learn, he can be involved and do miraculous things. I mean, real miraculous things.
But notice it didn't profit them that heard it. So you can get a lot out of this. One, they heard. Hearing must be important. We know faith comes when you hear, the Bible said. So, but they heard, but it didn't profit them. They didn't get the results. Have you ever seen some of these things on TV or on the internet, you know, or ads, you know, that say, if you get this and you do this, we guarantee results or your money back. God doesn't guarantee results if you only hear. He doesn't. You don't get like money back guarantee. If you hear, it's a guarantee. No, because he said right here in this second verse, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as them, but the word did not, uh, which they heard did not profit them. So, so they're already gone. They're an example of how not to do it, right? Aren't you glad you can learn? A wise man learns from a fool's ways. So it didn't work for them, but if it didn't work for them, is it just like, we don't know why? Or did he go on to explain why it didn't so that we didn't stumble over the same stumbling block they stumbled over and just keep stumbling over it? Wouldn't it be cool if God was like that and would help us out and tell us things like that? Well, aren't you glad the verse didn't end? He said, those who heard it, the reason it did not profit them, said not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. In other words, they didn't accept it and act on it like it was so. They heard it. They knew it was from God, but they didn't treat it like it was from God. Matter of fact, they saw circumstances that said, it, it, this, oh, no way, this can't work. They said, we're not able. God never said you would be able. But he said, this is true. And he told them, but they would not be persuaded to act. Unbelief. There are two major kinds of unbelief. One kind of unbelief is because people don't know the truth. The other kind of unbelief in the Bible is what we call disobedience. People who won't obey or act on the truth. In other words, they've heard, but they didn't mix it with something. They didn't mix it with their own belief and their own then acting on it like God said this, now I'm going to act like it's so. I'm going to do it no matter what. See, the children of Israel, what happened to them, the reason they disobeyed, which was unbelief, was they went, wow, there's giants there, there's these big walls and all this stuff, we're not able to do it. But God said they were. But it's interesting, a generation later was able to do what they said they could not do. One generation mixed faith and actions, or actions, really are faith. If you really want to know how your faith is doing, check your actions. Just check how you're acting. You with me? That's really a good measure of our faith. If people say, well, I'm reading the Bible, how are you acting? I mean, in other words, are you acting on the truths? If God says he's for me, do you act like he's for you? Oh, I was going to go down there, but man, there's all this competition for jobs. Then act like God's for you if he said he's for you. Then it doesn't matter about all the other people. You with me? Faith is acting on the Word like it is His Word because it is His Word. And so remember this. Let's go back to Ephesians 6 and then we're going to look at another verse here. Ephesians 6, 
where we were at before. So he said it didn't profit them because they were not persuaded to act. For some reason in their own will, they just wouldn't do it. And so the unbelief there is actually called disobedience and and other things. It was called hardness. In other words, they just went, no. And so how can we cure that kind of unbelief? One kind of unbelief is cured by getting information. The other kind of unbelief, the unpersuadableness or the the lack of action, just really comes by setting of the will, your heart, and going, all right, I'm, I'm doing it. Doesn't matter what I feel. These are God's words. This is God's word. I'm acting. Here I go. Feelings or not, here I go. Popular or not, here I go. Right? We've learned this in elements in our lives, hopefully to a degree, like if you have a job, you know, you you wake up and you don't ask yourself after a while. Remember when you first, you know, started working, you're like, oh, I don't feel like working. Now you don't even ask yourself about feelings. You, You just get up and do it. And we need to really be that way with the Word of God. Okay, it doesn't matter about my feelings. I'm just doing this. So here he said in verse 17, Ephesians 6, And take the helmet of salvation, which is the, which is the sword of the Spirit, or the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying. And then he said praying always, or in other words, keep this habit of prayer. So he said take the Word in prayer. Take the word of God in prayer when you go to pray. And he goes on to say, praying with all prayer. Some translations say all manner or all types of prayer. And there are different types. And as you read the Bible, you'll recognize there are different types of prayer. Some types of prayer won't work in some ways. You know, I mean, I have a Obviously, my yard work is on my mind a little bit, I guess. I don't know. But if I said, hey, I have some yard work that needs to be done. Why don't you bring some tools over, and you show up today, and you bring a shovel and a pick. Aren't those tools? Will they work with yard work? Yeah. But I say, oh, we're going to, I need to move these leaves. Will, will that work? A pick? Moving leaves? I mean, you're going to be busy poking each leaf, you know, with the narrow end of the pick. And with a shovel, you say, well, if they get on the sidewalk, well, what, sidewalk, yeah, then you can scoop them. But what if, I mean, first of all, you dragging your shovel around, we're going to be all like, stop that noise. But what if, right on the other hand, I said, hey, bring your tools, you're going to do yard work, so you show up with a rake. And a broom. Now you're equipped, right? Uh, well, no, because now I need to dig a trench. So does that broom work well? And it's pretty hard to dig a trench with a rake. So wouldn't it be good to have a selection of tools for different types of yard work? So when he said taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying with all manner of prayer... There are some types of prayer that people are praying and they're not getting results. Like they're full of worries. So they take a a shovel instead of a rake to prayer and they say things like this. Lord, just take this away. Just take this away. Take this away now. And then they, they get done and they still have that worry. Because, you know, the Bible doesn't say God will take it away. When it comes to worry, what are you supposed to do? Well, you have to take a manner of prayer. There's a manner of prayer in Philippians, the fourth chapter. It said, when you pray, it says, don't be anxious. Don't be worrisome. We're commanded not to, but we're to pray with thanksgiving. 
And there are other scriptures that tell us how to get rid of worries and cares. One says this, when you're praying, he said, cast the whole of your care and anxiety on him. He won't take it. You have to chuck it. I give it to you now. That means you empty your heart of it. It's a choice to put your trust in him and say, I'm trusting you with this. I'm refusing to worry. I give it to you in Jesus' name. Just like I would take and give this to you, that's a manner of of giving, right? But in prayer, I'm to give the worry and the concern. Then it says, once you've given it to him, you're supposed to offer thanksgiving to him. Why? Because I don't have it anymore. He said, when you do that, he said, his peace will begin to govern and guard your heart and your mind. So we need to know different manners of prayer. You with me? And so how would we learn different kinds of prayer? Somebody said, well, I'll be back next week. Well, I'm not going to talk about all manner of prayer, but there are multiple kinds. You know, there's a kind of praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. Somebody said, I don't understand that. Well, you may be familiar with a rake. This might be like a jackhammer, and there is a need for one. Or this might be like a backhoe. There is a need for one, but not always. Right? And there are different tools for different jobs, and they're needful. The way we're going to learn about these kinds of prayers, types of prayers, right? Didn't the Bible say uh, when we meet different people, you know, he said, if you're tested, what did he say to do? He said in James, the fifth chapter, he said, if anybody's tempted or going through a test and a trial, it says, let him pray. What did Jesus do when he was tested? He went and prayed. Remember, he said, Peter, you're going to be tempted too. He said, now you three come with me. He left the others behind and he said, you guys watch and pray. And, uh, he came back to him, and Peter's asleep. He said, can you not watch and pray for this, just this hour that we've been here? And then he fell right back to sleep, and he said, you need to pray. Why didn't he tell all of them to pray? Why did he only correct him? Because he knew he was going through a test. And he said, Peter, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he tells us when we pray it will do something to strengthen our spirit. We know praying in tongues will do that. And so what happened was Peter ended up succumbing to temptation because he refused to pray. He was just too tired. He was too busy. Napping, checking out the back of his eyelids. They looked the same. That's what he kept doing, and then all of a sudden he was overcome. But notice the very next part of the verse, he said, if anyone's tempted, he said, let him pray. So here's the thing. What if I am tempted and I say, you guys, I am tempted today. I have dessert at home and I want to eat it all. Everybody pray for me. Okay, I don't doubt that I will benefit from that. But I need to pray. I need to pray. Because he said, he who's tempted, let him pray. Here's the next part of that verse. He said, if anybody's merry, in other words, he's telling you the condition where you're at in life. He said, then you sing songs to the Lord. In other words, that's a type of prayer. Prayer is communication. So he said, you just give praise and thanks to God. So when you're doing good, what, then, then should you be neutral and doing nothing? He said, no, you just lift your voice to God. It's a type of prayer. Thank you, Lord. You're good. You're great. You're mighty. You're wonderful. How good you are. You're strong. Well, if I'm Mary and you're not, and I'm David, but if you're Mary, I'm Mary, and would I tell you, I'm Mary. Sing a song to the Lord. You'd expect me to do it, wouldn't you? Because doesn't it sound funny? You know, hey, you guys. I'm real merry. Everybody sing a song to the Lord when you leave today. Doesn't that sound different? 
but it's the same thing. But we've been trained to get everybody else to pray for us instead of us praying and talking to God. What if we started training you? Listen, I'm so excited about the Lord today. I'm having one of the best days of my life. Sing a song to the Lord for me. See, we laugh at that, but it's the same thing on the other hand. But we've been so religiously taught, we're thinking, you use your tools for me. I mean, it is nice to have people... Now, I'm not, this isn't a subliminal message or anything. It is nice to have people come do your yard work for you. See, that's what I meant. Because, you know, haven't we done that or had that experience or some, seen that experience where somebody went and did their yard work for them? Don't do my yard work. Don't, don't do it. Let, let's surprise him. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's like a bad haircut right there. What happened to my yard? Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. It may turn out really good, but by chance it doesn't. Don't even give it a try. Because if it does, I'm going to get to give you a haircut. And I'll do my best. So I totally got sidetracked. I'm like, please don't. Where was I at? The tools. Doing your own yard work. So we get trained... You know, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, don't, don't let them go over there and butcher those plants. <laughs> and uh, let's pray. Let me, let me pray for you. No. <laughs> don't go to my house. No. But the whole thing is there is that certain thing about doing your own thing. Now, we are allowed to pray for other people. We should pray for other people. But how curious is it that he said, if you're going through a test, you pray? Jesus didn't say to the ones that were left behind, he said, because he took his 11, because one of them was off getting ready to betray him, and he took out of, he said, you guys stay here, we're going to go a little further, and we're going to pray. Why didn't he say, now you all pray for him, he's going through a hard time, because there is something about what you do for yourself, too. And so when he said in James, if, if you're tempted, pray. And if you're merry, sing a song. Give praise to God. And then he goes on and gives another description. And so it's important to know what to do at the moment. And it, isn't it good to know that if, if I'm really burdened down and I go to the Lord... And I say, Lord, I, I give you this care because you said you, you wanted it, but I have to cast it over on you. So that means I'm not going to entertain it and hold it. I'm going to give it to you and expect you to work on this. So I give it to him. Then what do I do after that? He tells me how to progress in my prayer. He said, now start giving thanks that it's in his hands. See, because that's a type of praying. And he said, when you do this at that point, not before, not, not when you're casting, not when you're coming, but you've come, you've cast, you haven't given thanks, but once you do those steps, he said then his peace would guard your heart and mind. So it's good to know these things because he tells you how to do it, so when you get there, you know the steps to take. See, if I go there... And I cast my care on the Lord, because I've taken step one, I went. Then I humbled myself and cast my care. And then, you know, now I'm trusting Him. I haven't done everything yet to allow Him to do what He wants. Now I need to lift up my voice and give thanks to Him. Right? It's like, okay, I've trimmed the bush. It's not there anymore. It's hanging down below. Now I've got to clean these up. And so now I give thanks. Audible thanks to him. Thank you, God. And he said that he would begin to guard your heart and your mind with his divine peace. You would notice it. And so we need to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to prayer. All manner of prayer. We need to come to the place. I believe this. God is very accepting of varying kinds of prayer if they're connected with faith when we start off. But as we move along and we should be growing in the Lord, He expects more from us. You with me? 
And so he may answer a prayer yesterday like, God, I'm in trouble. You know, you're one week old in the Lord. Take this from me. And you notice, hey, got the victory. Well, he's going to expect you as you start growing to be casting it on him. And he's going to be expecting different things. And he's, he's not going to allow you to, to roll the dice with decisions, you know, as you move along. You know what I mean by that? You know, he may supernaturally guide you in certain areas, but as you start growing in the Lord, he's going to require that you take time to know his will through the study of his word and through prayer until you, like Paul said, I perceive that this journey will be with much trouble. We shouldn't go this way. And then they had gone the wrong way, and Paul is a prisoner at that time. And so he went back and sought the Lord, and the Lord gave him a new thing because they were all going to die. And he said, now you guys should have obeyed me and listened because he was hearing from God. But now after he had prayed, he got new direction. There is something to be said about spending time and knowing things. That's a different kind of prayer than casting your care on the Lord. You can't do this. You can't use a rake where a shovel is needed. In other words, I can't go to prayer and use a prayer for casting my care on the Lord and go, God, you know I'm real busy right now and I really need some direction, so I just cast that whole care on you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Goodbye. Because then, then what's that doing? You're not getting quiet. You're not seeking the Lord diligently. And the Bible said if you seek Him, you'll find Him. And so that may be why you're not getting some direction because you're just not taking the time for Him to be able to communicate with you. And every type of prayer is a rake prayer. Cast my care. No. I understand that God is merciful when there are times you're busy. For example, in my own life, I spend time worshiping God before I start praying in the spirit or praying in tongues and then praying different ways or praying for people. I'll just praise the Lord and praise him 30 minutes or 20 minutes or sometimes more. But here's the thing, not that you have to spend that much time, but the issue is there have been times where I was honestly busy, not because, man, I've been so busy, uh, but I did get three of those episodes in that I missed. That's not busy. That's a misappropriation of time. But when I've been seriously busy, I've gone before the Lord and I've just lifted my hands and said, thank you, Lord, I receive from you right now. Thank you for your divine life saturating me and working in me. And within moments, that power just starts flowing through me. But I know that's not what you do all the time. But I know he has ways that he will work and do things. And when we're in a pressure time, we may need an answer now. But hey, if we've got the accumulation of our life doing the right things, we'll be ready. And he understands and he'll help you, right? He will. He'll help you. I'm going to read this one set of scriptures and I believe we'll close. John, John 15. This is kind of a good, good rule when you're going to pray. So it is good. You know, there are a lot of books out there on prayer. Even when you read a book on prayer, don't take it as the final authority because how many of you know books you read outside the Bible, none of them are perfect, none of them are God's Word. There can be some that have some fantastic, wonderful truths, but you have to be alert and really prove things from the Word of God. You with me? And because some other people have done studies. And so it is, it is important for us to know different ways to pray. I mean, hey, if stuff's wreaking havoc in your life, I remember I had some friends. We were all saved not very long, and uh, they would go over to this one guy's house. Every time they went, they told me later, they said, you know, it seems like whenever we hang around with him, and he is a Christian, we're just all, when we all leave, everybody's like bickering. And he said, and it's not that he ever says anything bad. And, and uh, you know, I wasn't that maybe brilliant back then. Not that I'm a lot further down. I'm down the road. I've less, left the horse tie place. You know, I'm moving. And uh, I said, why don't you 
Now, you could just be carnal, and that's why you fuss all the time. That's different. That you just grow out of. And, uh, but I said, why don't you guys do this? If you notice every time you're around him and it's that you like this guy, and you, but you just have this, why don't you, when you guys go pray, just say, I take authority in Jesus' name over anything operating behind this situation. Devil, take your hands off of this in Jesus' name. Stop now. They came back, you know, where we saw each other, uh, you know, a short time later, and they're like, you know that guy we told you that happened? They said, we did that. And the last times we've been over there, we all left, and it was just wonderful. But you couldn't cast your care on the Lord. You couldn't seek the, you could seek the Lord for direction. You have to do what the Bible said and resist the devil in some situations. Some people act up in life just because they're listening to the wrong thing. And if that wrong thing stopped talking those people would stop talking and saying those things. You with me? And that's a different kind of prayer. That's not about seeking God's will. It's not, it's not the prayer of faith. As a matter of fact, it's just something you do in the Spirit. You with me? John 15, let's close with this in verse 7. It says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. This is an awesome prayer verse. If you abide in me, are you saved? But then he said, and my words abide in you. That's my responsibility. So the first thing, there's three things here that we need to know if we want our prayers to work. Obviously, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God or the spoken Word of God. But is there a proper way to speak the Word of God? Somebody said, you mean I got to like watch those TV evangelists and go, in Jesus' name. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, you could do that and it work. But it's not because you say it with inflection or you're loud or quiet or whatever. There's a condition behind it. You with me? And so he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then it gives you the right that whatever you'll ask, he said, and ask what you desire. If the word is really abiding in you, you're not going to ask outside of his desires. So the first thing we need to do is we need to personally get acquainted with the word of God ourselves. Second thing we need to do is when we are reading it, we need to accept His Word. Don't argue with it. If He said it, it's what He said, period. See, that's where the children of Israel got in trouble. They heard it, but they didn't accept it as fact. They started qualifying it. And He didn't want them to qualify it. He wanted them just to accept it and go with it. So, he, so the first thing you need to do it, to get his word abiding, and you've got to read it on your own. It would be hard to take the sword of the word of God to prayer if you don't know it. But God is merciful. And as we're growing, you don't have to come to the end before you can start praying. You should start praying right away. And then growing in prayer. And so he said, if it abides in you, the way it's going to get in you is if you hear it. And he said, but it's a certain way it dwells in you. The next thing is you need to accept it as it is his word. So hear it. Have the attitude that it's his. You know, the Bible said in Hebrews that Jesus, the reason he got answers to prayer. You know, the Bible tells us why he got answers to prayer. See, some people think, well, he got answers to prayer because he was, he was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. Of course, he had to get him. Do you know the Bible didn't say that? Matter of fact, we know because we looked at it before, Jesus didn't get answers to some things. I know that bugs people. He got stuff for himself, but Mark 6 and Matthew 12, it both said he could there do no mighty works. 
And, his, and then he tells us he marveled at their unbelief. Their unbelief hindered him from being able to do something that he wanted to do. See, he wants to save everybody, but what is he hindered by? People's unbelief. Will they accept him or not? But if they'll accept him, then he's able. And so we need to recognize that Jesus, there is a reason why he got answers to his prayers. Go read the book of Hebrews and you'll see that as you begin to read, it says the reason he got answers to his prayers was it says because he was heard because of his godly fear. What does that mean? He was a paranoid? No. It means he had such a high respect and regard for God and what God said. That's what godly fear is. So then whatever God said, he, he approached God with such an attitude of respect and honor. It said because of that, he was heard by God. If we approach his word with such a high regard and respect that this is God's word and this is what he says and this is a fact, it'll change how our prayers become answered or not. Because some people don't respect. What is it to respect and honor? It's to lift him to the highest place. And he approached God like that. He lived before God like that. And so here it says, and we'll close with this. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will. So it takes, the, takes knowing his word. It takes accepting his word. The third thing is, is this, this attitude of acting on it because it is his word. Act, it, act on it or treat it with the highest regard. Treat it like it was God, because he and his word are one. So if you'll treat his word in such high respect, like it's higher than anything, and you pray that way, you will find that you'll get results. You with me? I've heard people say this, pray with them, and then they get done, and they didn't see something immediate, and they'll say, well, I didn't expect it. Anyway, well, that was how they approached. But then you see other things in here, other miracles. They, they accept it. They go, okay, that's it. You know, there are miracles still awaiting people. There are. 